the younger son went to the father. He said, Father, give me my share of the estate. In other words, he said, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead because I'd like your money. And if you die, I can have my part of the will. But since you're not dead, can I have my money anyway? He's pretty arrogant. He's pretty presumptuous. Bible scholar, there, there's a Bible scholar that talks about Middle Eastern fathers. This Bible scholar is an expert in Middle Eastern culture, and he said, Middle Eastern fathers are expected to get really angry with something like this. A Middle Eastern father, if he had a son come and say, I wish you were dead so I could have your money, they would be expected to explode in anger and to, to discipline the son. It's their way out of line. Jesus tells this parable. He tells this story. A parable is a story that illustrates the truth, and Jesus uses parables all the time in his teaching. It's a way for people to remember his teachings and to help enter into the story of understanding what the kingdom of God is like. So Jesus tells this story in Luke chapter 15, verse 11. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Luke chapter 15, verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. First he says, give me the money. And then it just takes a few days. A few days later, he says, finally, I'm off to enjoy myself. I'm finally free of this place, and I'm going to go and do what really makes me happy. It's really quite remarkable that this father grants his request. He says, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll cash out. I'll cash out part of what I have, and I, I'm going to, it's unbelievable generosity. And th this younger son, he's, he's discontent somehow. He's not happy at home somehow, and he wants out. He says, this isn't a place for me. I want to be gone. So not long after that, he gets together all he has, and he sets off for a far country. He leaves the house of his father. He leaves the place he belongs. He leaves the goodness and the faithfulness and the holiness and the righteousness and the faith of his home. He leaves the relationships. He leaves the family relationships. He leaves his work. Presumably, he leaves his vocation, his purpose, his future. He leaves all of that. And I found myself just thinking, what, what motivates someone to leave the home that they belong in and to wander off to a far country? Why do we do that? Why do we leave the, the home of being in the house of the Father, being in the presence of the Father, God? Why do we have times of wandering off to a far country? We all do. What is it that drives us to those far places? Haven't we all wandered off? I think sometimes it's a sense of feeling stuck. I, I'm stuck here. I, I'm confused why I'm here. I, I don't know what I'm doing here. And there's this allure of freedom and adventure and out there I can do whatever I want. Maybe it's discontentment. 
Maybe it's boredom. Maybe it's, there are too many rules. I don't like how things happen here, and I want things to happen my way. Maybe there's a bit of a rebellious spirit. We love our independence. Maybe it's the pursuit of freedom our way. I don't want to listen to other people. I don't want to have the accountability of all these people who weigh me down. I want to do things my way. Maybe it's a running from responsibility. Or maybe we end up in far country places. Maybe we end up in the far countries, not because we're necessarily pursuing something, but maybe because we've drifted there. And over time, we've made casual little choices, and over a period of time, we find ourselves far away from the home where we belong. Far away in a far country. Luke chapter 15 Verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. So let's explore a little bit today about what these far places are, what they are for us, how we get there, what happens when we're there, and what what they do and what they don't do for us. Here are some things to know about the far country. Number one, the far country is a place that you are permitted to go you are allowed to go to the far country. I find it very interesting that the father in this story doesn't stop the son. He doesn't say, I'm going to pull out the the household security guards and I'm going to keep you from leaving. The father doesn't beg and plead with the son, please stay, please stay. The, The father doesn't force the son to come home. And God doesn't force you to choose him. God invites you. God calls out to you. God pursues you. God comes after you. God offers himself to you. The Holy Spirit draws himself, draws you to himself, but he doesn't ultimately force you to choose him. A passage of scripture that we looked at in uh, just a few weeks ago was from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians that says, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. And it was this comment that the world says, do what you want. Everything's permissible. And Paul adds on to it, but not everything's beneficial. (laughs) Like, keep this, yeah, sure, you can do what you want, but just know not everything's going to help you in the long run. You want to run life your way? You're an adult. Make your choice. But any choice that is outside of God's will will not ultimately bring the satisfaction that you want. If you want to get together all you have and set off for a far country, God will let you. He'll let you wander from your faith. He will let you drift away from his church. He will let you be dishonest at work with your boss and avoid accountability if you want that. If you are determined to put that addictive substance into your body and pollute his good creation, he will let you. If you're committed to using that ugly language, he could send down lightning from heaven, but that's not usually the way that he works. He'll he'll let you. If you want to cut people down and misuse people and use people and treat people, if you want to become self-focused over God-focused and f- absorbed with you, if you want to live the kind of sex life that you want, if you want to choose laziness in the way out, in the a way of sloth, God will let you. 
Because God is not interested in forcing a relationship on you. He pursues you. He comes after you. He makes himself available. You need eyes to see it. But he is there and he is doing it. We see this all over scripture. We, and we know it when we're in step with God. We see him coming after us. But he wants you to respond to him. He wants a real relationship, a genuine relationship. I can't force someone to be in a relationship with me and have it be a genuine one. We have to choose to be in a relationship together. God wants you. He's inviting you. But if you are committed, if you are determined and are stubbornly pursuing that far country, he will let you go. The second point, number two, the far country is a place of wastefulness. Things are wasted in the far country. It says in Luke 15, 13, that he set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Isn't squandered a great word? He squandered his wealth in wild living. Squander means to waste. Squander means reckless extravagance. It just means spending what you've got. I remember when when uh, kids, my kids were little, they'd get, a, when they were really little, they'd get a dollar and be like, this is a ton of money. I'm just going to buy whatever. I'm going to spend this whole dollar. And, and then we do this on a bigger scale as an adult. So I'm just, we, we, we receive an unexpected gift or we receive an unexpected amount of resources. And I'm just going to recklessly spend it and just enjoy it where I'm going to indulge myself. I'm going to treat myself. See, squandering has to do with a wastefulness for the purpose of self-gratification. Back when our kids were little, Adam and I met up with my sister and her family, and we took our kids to this amusement park, and it's in the middle of nowhere, southern Indiana, called Holiday World. Anybody heard of Holiday World? Okay, it's this great, ridiculous little place. And in this amusement park, you go to a section that's all decorated like Christmas, and a section that's all decorated like Valentine's Day, and Halloween, and it's just like this theme, this theme park of, of all these different holidays. Well. That was fun, but the thing that my kids were really interested about is that Holiday World offers unlimited soda pop. So you, you buy your tickets to this thing and you do your, your amusement park thing, but anywhere in the park, you can go to any beverage station anytime you want, and they have cups sitting out there, and you just, you just fill up that cup, and you can do that as many times as you want. Now, this is when they were little and I had no control over, well, I never have had any control over what they eat or drink junk food-wise, but I had a, like a semblance of control for a short period of time in their lives. And they didn't have pot very often. So they get to go to Holiday World. And, and we said, you can have as much as you want all day. And they just couldn't believe it. So they, they, they went and they, they filled up that first cup and they, I don't know what they got, root beer, whatever. They drank that cup. They go to, th to the second time, they, they drink that cup, and a, a, a couple hours later, they go back for that third cup. And you know what happened after that? Can, can I have some water, Mom? <laughs> because that was never, pop is never designed to be the number one beverage that really nourishes our need, uh, quenches our thirst, and nourishes our bodies. They didn't feel well. They felt sick. And we do this indulgence sort of thing on, on adult levels where we want to indulge ourselves and squander what we have in wild living because we want what we want. And yet the more we consume, 
the sicker we become. Later on in this passage, the older brother is not very happy about the younger son coming home and how the father has warmly welcomed him. We'll talk about that another week. But at at one point, the older brother says to the father, when this son of yours who squandered all of your wealth, he he, he squandered all of it with prostitutes. He came home and then you you treated him like like you love them. And and the older son says that he he squandered your property with with prostitutes. We don't really know that from the story. We don't know if that's exactly what the younger brother did. And if the, the older brother's maybe just mad and exaggerating, we don't really know. Maybe the younger brother did and that's what wild living meant. We don't, we don't know. But we do know that the word squander means to waste, to recklessly waste, to foolishly throw away, to take what is valuable and throw it away like it's nothing. And I'd suggest that being in the far country is always a waste. It's a waste of money. We had a city lifer who once was in recovery and uh, he's now been sober for a, a long period of time, over probably, probably four, 13, 14 years now or more. And he once estimated that he spent $100,000 on his addiction of choice. And he said, I think over my period of years of addiction, I think I've spent that much money. And he said, I wish I had that now. But, but being in a far country is always, it's a waste. It's a waste of money. It's a waste of health. We get a, I'm, I'm talking about addictions at the moment. I'm not going to camp on this one, this one thing. But I've seen people who I've known over a period of a decade or more who have remained in addiction, and I watch them mentally deteriorate year after year, and they become different people than when I originally met them. But I don't want to just pick on substance abuse. For any of us, being in the far country is always a waste of health. Maybe not physical, but emotional health, spiritual health, mental health. There's only one path to wholeness, and it is the, in the way of Jesus. Being in the far country is a waste of relationships. Often family relationships are very damaged when we go into far country places. We hurt our families, sometimes in ways that don't get repaired in this lifetime. Sometimes those relationships are taxed and strained and broken. You can lose friends when you go off to a far country. Being in the far country is a waste of the past. The young man had, this younger brother had this past that was with a, a wealthy father who loved him. He, he threw away his history, his rootedness. He threw away his past. He also threw away his future. He's wasting his future inheritance and the, the resources that he would have for the future. He's wasting his life. Now, this isn't to say that God can't redeem. It isn't to say that God can't redeem the past. We know God can redeem the past. And it's not to say God can't redeem the future. We believe and hope and trust that God can redeem the future. That's why we keep doing this thing called life. That's why we keep pursuing Jesus is because we have hope that Jesus, the Redeemer, can turn these things and can make them new. But it is to say that living in the far country squanders and badly uses good gifts that God has given to you. Verse 14, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. Sin is always costly. Point number three, the far country will cost you. 
It cost him money. It cost him relationships. It cost him a place to stay. It cost him ability to take care of himself. He spent everything. And then on top of all of his own issues, there's a natural disaster that happens that just makes everything worse. There are no resources left. Point number four is the far country is ultimately a place of desolation and emptiness. It promises freedom, it promises satisfaction, it promises fulfillment, but all of these are temporary. The passage continues in verse 15, so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Now Jesus is telling this parable to a Jewish audience and pigs would have been considered unclean. And so here we have this man in this story who's not only reduced to being a servant, but he's feeding pigs of all animals. And he hires himself out. He says, I will be a slave. I just need to eat. It's this new, there's, humility is one thing. Humiliation is another. And he gets to the point of being hungry enough to want the pig food. And then I think the most heartbreaking line of all, at the end of verse 16, but no one gave him anything. You just hear the isolation, the loneliness, the sadness. He is in a destitute place. Point number five is the far country will lie to you and tell you it's a place of freedom. You'll go set off for the far country thinking, this is where my freedom is. This is where I can do what I want. This is where, what I can, where I can become who I really want to be. This is where I can go without being hindered by other people's standards or rules or opinions. And the, lie country, the far country will lie to you and say, it's a place of freedom, but it's really a place of slavery. Which is so ironic because he thought home was slavery. And for a while, you can tell yourself things are fine. And for a while, some things might be fun. There might be some things that you enjoy in the far country. That's why we go. That's why we stay for a while. There are some things that feel good, seem good, give, f- seem to give us life, seem to give us peace, seem to give us the satisfaction that we're, we're looking for. But all of these are a lie, and all of these are temporary. Because ultimately, the far country is a place of humiliation. No one gave him anything. Verse 17. When he came to his senses. When he came to his senses. He said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare. And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. 
This is what we call hitting bottom. This is what we call hitting bottom. When you reach that point and you say, I'm done. It can't really get worse than this. It's the moment when the scales fall off your eyes, when the light bulb comes on, when you come to your senses and you wake up and you realize, I don't want to be here anymore. Hitting bottom is such a gift. Hitting bottom is such a grace of God to meet us in the deepest, darkest pit. The only thing worse than not hitting bottom is to keep on falling. Some of us are so resilient in our sin that we don't know how to hit bottom. We are so used to surviving in sin and persisting in sin that we hold on to it. We think, oh, it's so hard for me, but I just got to keep on going. No, this, this pain that you are in is a gift from God to help you turn. It is a gift from God to be a wake-up call, to call you to your senses. Too often we find ways to cohabitate with sin, to coexist with all of the far country stuff in our lives that God doesn't want us to have. And we're so resilient to pain when God says, pay attention to your pain. Pay attention to your pain. I'm speaking to you in your pain to call you out of where you are because this is not where you belong. C.S. Lewis has a famous quotation about pain. He says, pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Quit living in the pain of your far country life and say, well, I just have to suffer through this. Let God use that pain to call you out. Verse 20, so he got up. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. While he was still a long, a long way away from home, his father saw him. And the only way his father could see him is if, he, if he'd been watching, looking into the distance. The father had not gone after his son to force him to come back. He had not set up a security guard at home and refused to let him leave. He loved his son so much that he wanted a real relationship with his son, and he released him. So he had let him go when the son was determined to go to that far country. But that hadn't stopped the father from waiting faithfully waiting, from watching, faithfully watching, from hoping, from loving. It hadn't stopped the father from watching the horizon off in that distance toward the far country, hoping to see a glimpse one day of his lost son. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with resentment? No, filled with anger filled with boiling rage, filled with sadness over the wasted estate? No. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. 
the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. Put sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Final point, number six, is the far country is a place you can leave. It is a place you can leave. You don't have to stay there. Some of us in our far countries think that we are too far gone to come home. Some of us in our far countries are convinced that it is too late for us to return, that the damage has already been done. We would say, I'm too far away from you, God. I can't come home. And he would say, yes, you can. And we might say, I'm, I'm really messed up, God. And he'll say, yes, you are. Come home. God, I can't undo the things that I've done. It's too late. I can't undo those things. And he'll say, you're right, you can't. But let's come home. I found myself thinking about what God's love is doing while we're in that far country. Because while we're in the far country, does God stop loving us? Like, as soon as we leave the boundaries of his home, does, after we get past the threshold of the door, does he quit loving us then? No, he keeps loving us. He loves us into the far country. We might even love him to some degree, too, in, in an imperfect sort of way. Being away from home doesn't mean that you're unloved. But being away from home does mean that while loved, you are still lost. God loves you just as you are. And I think we can sometimes abuse that way of thinking. God loves me just as I am, so I can live in the far country, so I can do whatever I want. But God says, I, I love you just as you are. That doesn't change anything. But I want you to come home. I love you so much, I don't want you to stay out there in that far country. I love you so much, I want you home where you belong with me. I love you so much that I want you to come home and restore relationships, begin life again. I want to give you a fresh start. I want to give your future back to you. God doesn't need you to come home so that he can love you. But he wants you to come home so you can be restored. He wants you to come home so you can be healed. He wants you to come home so that your life can be radically different. He wants you to come home so that you and God can be right together. You need to come home to fulfill your purpose, to fulfill your destiny, to receive the inheritance that God has for you and to live it out. And my question for us today as a church is, if you are in a far country today, and it is possible to be in a far country and still be in church today, but if you're in a far country, you've drifted, you've wandered, you've chosen, whatever, you, you, you've somehow gotten away from the Father's house, from living in good communion with the Father, from being close to where he wants you to be, 
the invitation for you today is, will you come home? He won't force you to stay, but it's possible for you to come back. And when Jesus told this parable to his listeners, why did he tell it? He told it because he wanted us to understand who the Father is. That's the whole purpose. He wanted us to understand what the Father's really like. Thank goodness he's not like us. He wanted us to know that the Father is waiting and watching and will welcome us home when we come. We call this parable the parable of the prodigal son because prodigal means reckless extravagance. It means wastefulness, and that's what the son did. He was recklessly extravagant. He was wasteful, and he went and spent all he had on his wild living until he had nothing left. But I wonder if instead of calling this parable the parable of the prodigal son, if we should perhaps call it the parable of the prodigal God. This picture of the father wasting his love on a son who wishes he were dead. This picture of a father wasting his time, gazing off into the distance, looking at the horizon day after day. This picture of a father wasting his hope on a son who might never return. The picture of a father wasting all that love on a fool. The father, the father wastes his love on fools, church. And Jesus wasted his life. Jesus wasted his life on that cross. Extravagant, extravagant recklessness. This extravagant sacrifice of his life. Broken, his body broken, his blood poured out. This reckless extravagance. This is our father who's calling us home. Who has recklessly given it all to get us back so that we'll come home. You have a prodigal God who extravagantly loves you, specifically you. You have a prodigal God who is waiting for you to come home. The father says to the servants, quick, bring, bring the robe. Bring my best robe. It's the father's robe. The son doesn't have anything left. The father says, bring my best robe. It's the one I wear in banquets. Bring that robe and put that robe on my son. It, this represents the father's acceptance. Like, you are welcome here and everybody's going to know you are wearing my robe. You are welcome here. And the father says, bring my ring. It's probably a signet ring or a family ring. Wear my ring and mark this as a seal to prove that you are a part of this family. You are not an outsider. You are one of us. And he tells the servants, bring sandals. Bare feet are for servants. Sandals would have been a mark of not being a servant, but of being a free man and a son. And some of you today might say to God, maybe you're wanting to come home. Maybe you know what that looks like, but maybe you're wrestling with that. And maybe you would say to God, but God, I have sinned. And the father says, I know. Here's my best robe. Put it on because you need to know and everyone else needs to know that I receive you back. 
And you might say, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father says, I know. But here's my ring. You're part of my family anyway. And you might say, make me, just make me one of your servants. I, I don't need to be a son. I, just make me a servant. I just want to be close to you and I'll be your slave. I'll do whatever you want me to do, God. And God says, no, I don't want you as a servant. I want you as a son. Put on my sandals so that you can be a son and not a servant. And then he tells the servant to kill the fattened calf in preparation for a feast. And, you know, a fattened calf doesn't get fattened immediately. This is a fattened calf who's been fattened over a period of time. He's, he's been waiting. He's been waiting, hoping his son will come home. There's a banquet waiting for you. I invite you to close your eyes where you are, and I want you to listen to the voice of the Father calling out to you. You've been invited to come home. And some of you are in a far country. Some of you might say, I'm in a very far country. I'm not where I should be. I'm not who I thought I was. I'm not doing the things I should have been doing. I'm doing things I shouldn't be doing. I'm with people I shouldn't be with. I'm, I'm in all the wrong places. I'm, I'm not fulfilling the purpose God has for my life. I've drifted. I don't know how I even got here. And I'm hungry. And no one cares. And if you are in a place today of hitting bottom or being close to hitting bottom, the biggest gift of grace God can give you is to help you see it. And the call of the Lord today is to call all of his children back, all of his children back to his house, whether you're really far from him and at rock bottom or whether you're just a couple miles away from home, wherever you are in your distance from God, he's calling you to come home today. To humbly, like the son, come to the father saying, I've sinned. Will you take me back? And then church, for you to receive the father's robe, the father's ring, the father's shoes. And to sit down at the feast with him. Lord Jesus, thank you for calling us back home. Thank you for the call to return. Lord Jesus, we don't know what coming home looks like, and that can be very terrifying for some. And for those who are scared to come home today because they're not sure what's going to happen when they do, I pray, Jesus, that you will not let the enemy win and that you will not let the devil keep them where they are, but that they will be able to resist the lies and deceits and deceptions of the enemy and that they will have the courage to come home and the courage to receive your love, the courage to walk back to your house, the courage to take up life with you again, the courage to not be so drowning in humiliation that they can't receive your love. Oh God, give us grace to return to you. So we pray for your deep 
work of restoration and reconciliation. Make us new. Amen.